0: Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, a young man enlisted in the military and he was sent to his regiment. The first night he was in the barracks about Fifteen other young men were there with him, and they passed the time playing cards and gambling and doing all kinds of things. So before going to bed that evening, this young man fell on his knees and he prayed. As he was praying, they began to curse him and jeer at him and to throw their boots at him. So it went on the next night and the next night and the next night, and finally the young man got frustrated, and he went and told the chaplain what had taken place, and he asked, Chaplain, what should I do? Well, said the chaplain, you're not at home now, and the other men have just as much right to the barracks as you have. It makes, it makes them mad when you pray, but I want you to know that the Lord will hear you just as well if you say your prayers in bed and don't provoke them. Weeks went by, and the chaplain didn't see the young man again until a certain day he, he saw him in the hallway, and he said, by the way, hey, soldier, did you take my advice? Soldier said, yeah, well, I did what you said for two or three weeks. Chaplain said, well, then how'd that go? Young man said, well, after about two or three weeks, he said that I felt as if I should get out of bed and I should get back down on my knees and pray again. Chaplain said, well, then how'd that work out? Young man said, well, now we have a prayer meeting there every single night. Three people have been saved and we're all praying for the rest of those in the room. Why do I tell you that? Because I want you to know that that soldier had an absolute right to pray. He could have insisted on his rights. He could have continued to insist on his rights and offend those soldiers. Yet he laid down that right, knowing that his passion was to still reach them for Jesus. And some may say, well, he should have just continued to pray and not worry about what other people thought. Well, he could have, but I believe something else was at play. Again, we're in this message about why we should forgo our rights. Well, what, what could be the reason we should forgo our rights? Even though they're good things, even though they're godly things, why would we want to give up a right such as the right to pray out loud? Why would we do that? Here we are, the second part of a message that we started last week, and we summarized the message this way. We said, I may have to forgo my rights to go forward in relationships. I have to forgo my rights to go forward in relationships. We learned that from 1 Corinthians 9 verses 15 through 18. The first thing that we taught last week was, I can give up my rights because I will gain an eternal reward from Christ. We talked about that when I give up my rights, that the Lord always knows about that and He rewards me for what I give up. We talked about in those verses that my reward is not for creating the message. We don't get to create the message that we're all about, that we're all trying to share. We don't create the gospel. so We don't get rewarded for how faithful we are to that, how faithfully we obey that, how creatively we come up with ways to present the message. We don't get rewarded for that. Well, then what do we get rewarded for? We talked about this, that my reward is for communicating the message. We get rewarded for how faithfully we communicate that which God has already given to us in the gospel. We don't get to change that. This morning, though, I want to finish this, and I want us to look at the second reason why we may have to forego our rights. So I want you to stand to your feet as we begin to read in verses 19 through 27 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Thus saith the Lord, church. Amen? Verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a what church? A slave to how many? So that I may what? Win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might what? Win the weak. Paul says, I have become all things to all men, so that I may be all means, it's important, save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. I mean, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Here's what Paul's teaching us, I believe, is the second thing, that I can give up my rights because others may gain an eternal relationship with Christ. I can give up my rights, first of all, because I'll gain an eternal reward from Christ. But secondly, I can give up my rights because others may gain an eternal relationship with Christ. Paul wanted nothing, absolutely nothing, to hinder people from coming to Christ. He would gladly give up anything to see people enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. And he gives two ways that we may help others gain that relationship with Jesus. When we forgo our rights to help others gain that relationship, he gives us two ways. The first thing is, is when I exercise servant-mindedness, I may win people to Christ. When I exercise servant-mindedness, the primary reason Paul didn't take advantage of his rights for support was that he may win more to Christ. As far as his rights, Paul says, I'm free from all men. But his love for people would cause him to limit his rights for their sakes. Paul says that I become a slave to all. He's figuratively speaking. He would change his habits. He would give up his preferences. He would adjust his lifestyle. He would do anything if any of those things caused someone to be hindered from coming to Christ. In verses 1 through 14, Paul has taught us that we are free as we taught on this, in the gray areas. When scripture doesn't exactly say, I mean, verbally, just specifically, just in black and white, when the scripture doesn't say exactly what we're supposed to do in the gray areas, we are free to do what conscience allows. But love would not allow him to do anything, even though he was free, love would not allow him to do anything that would cause a weaker brother's conscience to be troubled. Love would not allow him to do things that would be offensive to those unbelievers to whom he was sharing the gospel. So Paul put everything in his life under the control of love. Now in the Mosaic law, a Hebrew who was the slave of another Hebrew had to be offered his freedom after six years. But if the slave loved his master and wanted to stay, he could become a permanent slave. Then his ear would be pierced as a sign of voluntary enslavement. So figuratively, Paul has chosen to do this with all men. He has voluntarily, because of his love for them, become a permanent slave to all men. Because of his love for them, he stays committed to them and doesn't leave them so that he can reach them with the gospel. So verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win some. Paul says, I've made myself a slave. That word slave is a strong one. It's the word that describes the 400 years of slavery in Egypt. It's the word that describes the marriage bond. It's the word that describes an addiction to wine. It describes a new relationship to righteousness that we have through Christ. Paul was really saying the same thing that Jesus taught earlier in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 44. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles dominate over them, and their people in high position exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. Rather, whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant, And whoever wants to be first among you shall be what? Slave of all. This adjusting his life in order to identify with those to whom he witnessed is what I like to call pre-evangelism. This is not the gospel by adjusting his life. That's not the gospel, but it helped others receive the gospel and to hear the gospel. What we call it here is, is giving people a place to belong how does one do this? Well, Paul helps us. He shows us three ways that he adapted, became a slave in order to help more people be receptive to receive the gospel of Christ. And what I want you to notice though is there's a purpose statement. I mean, a principle followed by a purpose statement. He gives a principle and then he says, here's why we do this principle. There's a reason we do this. Listen to me. There's a reason you have to hear me. We're not doing things to just try not to offend people so that we don't offend people. Paul said the reason we do that is so that we can win them to Christ. It's going to be important if you follow the leadership of this church in the future and as you're following that, that you understand primarily this is exactly what we're doing and why it ruffles feathers sometimes. So, So hang on, I want you to learn why we do what we do here. So Paul says in verse 20, the first part, he says, I lived like a Jew. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win the Jews. Do you see that? The principle, I live like a Jew. Why? So that I might win the Jews. Within biblical limits, he was as Jewish as he needed to be with Jews. Now in Christ, he was no longer bound to the ceremonies, to the rituals or the traditions of Judaism. Doing those things or not doing those things didn't affect his relationship with Christ. But if becoming Jewish like that would open a door to share the gospel, then he would do those Jewish things. In other words, it's not that he would place himself under the law, but that he wouldn't do anything to offend those who were under the law. For example, Paul wouldn't eat pork in front of someone who was Jewish. He was free from that law. He could eat all the pork he wanted to. He would voluntarily though place himself under that Jewish law, so as not to offend those who were under that law. Here's what he was doing. He would forgo his rights of freedom so that he could move forward in relationship with those whom he was trying to reach. His purpose, he says there, is to win them to Christ. Paul, as we've talked about earlier, Paul wanted his fellow Jewish people to be saved. Again, Romans 10:1. brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Paul wanted that so bad for his brethren that he writes in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my countrymen, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoptions, the sons and daughters, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. Paul is madly concerned about his own people being saved. And because of this love for them and desire to see them to come to Christ, if he needed to abide by some ceremonial regulation, if he needed to observe a special day, or if he needed to refrain from eating certain foods or eat certain foods, he says, hey, I'll do whatever it takes short of sin to win my friends to Jesus. He and others who understood this principle did some drastic and even painful things to prove it. When Timothy was with him as a grown man, he had Timothy circumcised. Why? Acts chapter 16, 3. The Bible says, Paul wanted this man to leave with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. He's speaking of Timothy. He says, listen, we're not doing this for me, and we're not doing this on Timothy's behalf, but if we're going to reach the Jews in this area, and they know he's uncircumcised, Timothy, you need to be circumcised to reach them. That wasn't for Timothy or for Paul. But it was a great benefit to him among the Jews that he was wanting to reach. The Jews were under the law of circumcision. So Paul says, we have to go there under that law to reach them. Now, Paul never, never believed or taught or even suggested that following the law made one right with Christ. But he knew that sometimes putting himself under that law would open doors for him to share Christ with people. Now, notice this, that if we're going to win people to Christ, it will require giving up our rights. But notice this, more importantly, that it will cost us and that it will most likely be very painful. Notice that it starts, though, with a passion for Jesus. And that passion for Jesus results in a passion for lost people. For us, it's like this. When we go to another country, like, like we went to El Salvador, When we go to El Salvador, even though we're free, we can wear whatever we want to. We don't wear long, uh, we don't wear skirts and we don't wear shorts. We go there in long pants and we go there in dresses. Even though we're free from that kind of law, we'll gladly give up and put ourselves under that law to reach them for Christ. In Sumatra, I've led many teams there. We had to make sure that our team removed any piercings or covered up any marks on their bodies. Why? We were free. We could go in and do those things, but we subjected ourselves and put ourselves under that so that we could reach them. So I want to go back to Romans 10.1 just for a moment. Romans 10.1 says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is for their salvation. I want you just right now, if there's just a moment in this room, would you just bow your heads? I want you to meditate on that for a minute. I want you just to really meditate on that. But this time, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go before God and I want you to thank God that somebody cared enough for you to pray for your salvation and to share Jesus with you. I want us to go back and thank God that somebody lived this principle out for us. Can we just go before God and thank him For those who've prayed for us and those who shared the gospel with us, take just a moment to do that. God, we're so grateful for people who followed you and reached us with the gospel. May we just do the same for others. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says, excuse me, Paul says, hey, man, I live like a Jew. Then Paul says something else. He says, he lived like a Gentile. Look in verse 21. To those who are without the law, these are the Gentiles. As without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that, there's your purpose again, that I might win those who are without the law. Now, to help prevent misunderstanding, Paul clarifies and says that he's not talking about violating God's moral law. Paul says, I'm not going to sin to reach sinners. I'm not going to throw the Bible out to reach those who've thrown the Bible out. I'm not going to violate my conscience to reach those who are violating theirs. I mean, the Ten Commandments, we still have a moral obligation to those. We can't just throw those out. Those have all been restated in the New Testament. So so he's saying, in things other than moral matters, Paul tries to identify with Gentile customs. Paul ate what they ate. He went where they went. He dressed as they dressed. Why? Why would you do that, Paul? To win them to Christ. What we call that there is, is we just meet people where they're at and lead them to Christ. That's what we call it here. His deep passion and his desire to see people come to Christ, it was so up in him that sometimes Paul had to do things that he was very uncomfortable with. And if we're going to reach this world out here, if we're going to reach the grains, it's going to require that you and I get out of our holy huddles and do some things we're very uncomfortable with. It's going to mean eating with people that we normally wouldn't eat with. It's going to mean hanging out with people that we don't normally hang out with because they don't vote the way we vote. It means doing some things, listening to some things, watching some things that you may not be comfortable with. Why? Because you're wanting to build relationships with people who do those things. Then Paul says, thirdly, he says, man, he lived like those who had a hard time grasping the gospel. Verse 22, the first part, he says, to the weak, I became weak. Why, Paul, why? That I might win the weak. Paul would go down to their level, wherever somebody was in their understanding. Hence... Why sometimes we go where sometimes people don't know the Bible, we kind of start there with them. So sometimes we don't bring in the Bible to everything we do at first. To the weak, we become weak. To those who needed the simple or repeated presentations of the gospel, Paul says, I would do that. For those who needed to hear it over and over and over and never seemed to make progress, Paul just patiently continued to be with them and to share with them. Here's the thing. Paul didn't expect people to understand immediately. He didn't expect people to act like they were saved. And then when they weren't and didn't even understand what he meant, he didn't give them problems about it. He would give up whatever it took. He would do whatever it took to win people to Jesus. To be clear, to be very clear, hear me well. Paul is not saying that he did away with his convictions. Paul simply used his convictions to build bridges instead of walls. He was trying to use gospel tact. This meant that he wanted to make a point without making enemies. We we can't expect people that come into our audience here or that, that come to the things that we do here to live like Christ. You can't expect people from the outside to come in here to know how to honor Jesus even when they're in this building. You can't expect people from the outside who come in here to abide by our standards. So when people come in here and they wear their hats, it just has to be okay. When they're covered in things that you may not appreciate or understand, it has to be okay. When their kids are running around screaming because they don't know how to act right in church, it just has to be okay. We can't expect people to know even what to do when they come in here. And when they're out there, man, why do we tend to avoid them? Like, like their, their sin's going to rub off on us. So like, why are we so afraid to engage them? They're just people. I've noticed, and I even noticed it last year during our sports camp, that, that many believers don't know what to do with unbelievers on, on campus, much less out there in public. They don't know what to say. They don't want to know. There's just tremendous awkwardness. And I want you to know that they're image bearers of God. They're they're amazing people. So ask them about their, their things that you don't appreciate. Just ask them about them. Ask them about their kids. Ask them about their dreams. Engage with them about the relationship that they're in that you don't appreciate. Instead of standing there just saying, you're going to hell because you're in a homosexual relationship, change the verbiage. Hey, tell me about this relationship. What are your hopes and your dreams for it? That is called compassion. It is not called condoning. If We're going to be a church that reaches people with the gospel. We have to know two things, church. We have to know the gospel, but then we have to know how to reach people. And here's what I would say as a church. We know the gospel but we struggle to reach people. And then when we're trying to reach people, people say that we ain't preaching the gospel. And I'm just going to tell you, we've got to know how to reach people. So in verse 22, Paul says this, to the weak I became weak, I become all things to all men, so that I may be all means. Did you hear that? All means, save some. Paul, Paul knew the people. He knew their culture. He knew, and then he became like them. He just didn't hear about, but he became one of them and lived on their level. Beloved, we have to become immersed in our city. Do we know the questions the people in Grange are asking? Do we know how they think? Do we even know what they care about? Do we know what the people that live in this community, do we know what their hopes are? We can't do this by sticking our, our, our Christian minds and hearts in, in this Christian atmosphere and not willing to change our methods. We we can't be just, just dogmatically saying we're not going to change the way that we try to reach people. We have to change the ways we reach people. So here we offer marriage classes, sometimes with the Bible, sometimes without the Bible, because we're trying to reach people right where they're at. Some people would never come to hear anything that had the Bible in it. But some people will come when they know it's not like that. So why are we starting there? Because why, we're doing all things to become all things to all men that we might eventually reach them. We're trying to begin a relationship so that we can get to Christ. Sometimes we offer finance classes and, and grief share classes. We, we do sports camps. We, we do hope-filled living classes all because we're trying to reach people where they're at. That's a great start, but, but I'm talking about why not have basketball clinics and, and martial arts and teach people carpentry and have cooking classes? I mean, why don't we do all that? This has got to be a community center. This just can't be a church. This has got to be the place where LaGrange says, if you want to go be loved, go there. But again, can I, can I share this with you? Because I know some well, take what I'm saying out of context, and you've got to hear me because I want to be clear. Paul never, and I will never, and we should never compromise the gospel. We can't change the smallest truth in the gospel to reach anybody. But we have to be willing to adapt the way we minister to people. I would never set aside a truth of the gospel. Paul would never do it. I would never set aside any part of the gospel to reach anybody. But while I will always change my methods, I will never change the message. When people are confused about those two things and think I'm messing around and I'm changing the message, you better go back and make sure because I've been crystal clear, I have never changed the gospel. And we're going to continue to change the way we get people to hear the gospel. But We can never change the gospel. It isn't ours to change. And when people are confused about that, it causes issues. Too many times people can't see that sometimes we have to start at different places with people. Sometimes we start with the Bible and Jesus, but other times we don't. Jesus himself modeled that for us. What if we started removing people's aloneness? What if we went there so that God could begin removing their fallenness? We believe here and teach here part of the vision that when we help people belong, we help people believe. That's what Paul did, and that's why we're doing it. It's true that God's word and the gospel offends. It is true. The message offends, but the messenger doesn't have to. We shouldn't offend people by our behavior and our unnecessary practices. It's not an issue with the law, but it is an issue with love. And let me tell you, church, love always requires more. So verse 23, Paul says, I, could, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul, what are you saying? Paul's life centered around the gospel, preaching and teaching it. Nothing else was even close. He says that he wants to become a fellow partaker of the gospel. Paul, you've preached the gospel. You know the gospel. What are you talking about? You want to be a fellow partaker of the gospel. Paul is saying He wanted everyone else to join him and share in the blessings of the gospel. So one of the ways that we do that is through exercising servant-mindedness. I put people's needs first, and I serve them where they're at. And when I do that, I may help them gain the relationship with Jesus. So Paul, what else are you saying? Paul says this, when I exercise self-mastery, I may win people to Christ. Not just servant-mindedness, but self-mastery. To limit our freedoms and exercise servant-mindedness, we have to use self-mastery. So my sinfulness, and I bet your sinfulness, even, even, we just hate restrictions put on us. You may find that to be true here this morning, but, but it's one thing to say, yes, okay, pastor, I agree with you. We've got to keep changing the way we reach people. Yes, we must love, but let me tell you something. It's a completely different thing to do that. You see, the Greeks had two athletic events, the Olympian Games and the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games were held at Corinth. This is the one Paul's talking about. And they would have been really familiar to the Corinthians. They they would race on this track about 200 yards long and 30, uh, 30 yards wide. And contestants in these games had to train for 10 months, 10 months of rigorous training. And then in the 10th month, they would spend it completely in Corinth where they were supervised daily with intense workouts. And this race was a huge draw for all of Corinth and really that part of the world. So Paul uses that illustration to make his point. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Paul knows that after going through all of that training, They wouldn't do that so hard and so long without the goal of wanting to win. But yet, at the end of the day, like what happened to my precious Longhorns, only one team can be the winner. But there's a difference here. Every Christian, every Christian, not just one, but every Christian who will pay the price of training can win. And we don't compete against each other. But we compete against the flesh and the world and the devil. Practical, physical, spiritual obstacles can hinder us. So Paul says, hey, run in such a way as to win. Set aside anything that may hinder someone from receiving the gospel so that you can win them to Jesus. Holding tightly to our freedoms, holding tightly to our rights, holding tightly to our liberties are sometimes a sure way to lose when it comes to soul winning. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Sometimes we limit our testimony because we don't limit our liberty. Instead of giving up our rights, oftentimes we give up other people's right to hear the gospel because we hold on to ours. Verse 25, he says this, everyone who competes in the games, these are the games he's talking about, exercises self-control in all things, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an unperishable. In other words, everyone who competes in these games exercises self-control. That's the word self-mastery. It means to control oneself, to exhibit complete mastery over myself. Paul is saying, if these athletes use great discipline, self-control, and self-mastery to win something, why don't believers do it? They do it for something that's going to perish. We do it for something that's not going to perish. I mean, the winner of the Ispian Games would receive a pine wreath. And they go through all of that for a pine wreath. It represented them fame and acclaim and even hero status. That's important. Those winners would probably be held in memory for a few years. They would also win the exemption from paying taxes or even serving in the military. But again, the real prize was the crown. They were looking for the crown that would be put on their head, this wreath, this crown. But just like the wreath, after a while, nobody's going to remember who really won. After time. But see, Christians, we do this for something that doesn't perish. We, we, we run to receive an imperishable crown. 2 Timothy 4, eight says this way, In the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, Paul includes us now, but also to all those who love his appearing. That's what I'm running for. How about you? 1 Peter 3, 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us, did you see that? He's caused us to be what? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To do what? To obtain inheritance. What kind of inheritance, Paul? It's imperishable. It's undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. That's what we're getting after. But, please notice, both crowns require incredible self-mastery. Did you know this? That you and I are not going to win other people to Jesus without extreme discipline. I don't know many people who witness on accident if an athlete expects to win, he must set aside certain freedoms. If an athlete expects to win, he has to set certain rights, certain liberties. He has to follow a sleep schedule, a study time, hard practices. You see, one of the things that I believe, and and I borrowed this from a commentator, he says this, one of the things that Paul may be hitting at is that the athlete's disciplined self-mastery is a rebuke to the half-hearted, out-of-shape, undisciplined believers who almost do nothing to prepare themselves to witness. And the truth is, there's a whole lot of truth to that. Nevertheless, Paul had a purpose in running. A purpose in the self-mastery, verse 26. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. His goal four times in verses 19 through 22 was to win as many people to Christ by using as many means as possible. And he says, listen, I'm not just up here shadow boxing. I'm in a real fight. Elsewhere, Paul calls it the good fight. In 1 Timothy 1:18, he says, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. In other words, what Paul's saying is, listen, man, I ain't just working out I ain't, just, I ain't just working up a sweat. I'm trying to win people to Jesus. I ain't just going to church just to do my church thing. I ain't just getting into the Bible just to kind of work up a religious thing. I'm doing all this so that I can win people to Jesus. Verse 27a, he says this, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. Did you see that? Huh. This word here, he says, when I discipline my body, it literally means in the Greek to hit oneself under the eye. It really, literally, that's what it means. Paul says, I, I hit myself in my own eye. He would give himself a black eye or even knock himself out if that meant if that's what it took to bring his own body under subjection. In other words, Paul's going to do whatever it takes to bring this under control so that it can reach other people Paul subjected his body into slavery self-mastery and he made his body subject so that it could win other people to Jesus just as athletes put their bodies through tremendous punishment so are we to do whatever it takes and painfully so to reach other people for Jesus Is it gonna hurt to get up early in the morning before you go to work to get your heart right so that you can go in the office full of Christ? You better believe it. Is it gonna hurt and cost you something? Maybe because you witness on the job and you lose your job. Yeah, you better believe it. This is gonna cost. It takes self-discipline. It is not gonna happen. LaGrange is not gonna hear the gospel by accident, folks. It's not gonna happen. Sadly, many are not making their bodies their slaves. They're slaves to their bodies. Their bodies tell their minds what to do. Their bodies tell them when to eat and how much and when to sleep, but athletes can't allow that. They follow the training rules and they make their bodies adjust to that. The athlete runs when he would rather be sleeping. He eats healthy when he'd rather have ice cream. He leads his body instead of letting his body lead him. So the believer must not listen to his body, but he must listen to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit says, get after it for Jesus and the gospel, we've got to do that. So, verse 27, he says, But I discipline my body to make it my slave, so that, watch, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. contestant in the Isthmian games who failed to meet the training requirements for all 10 months would be disqualified. The person couldn't even run, much less win. So Paul is saying, I don't want to preach and teach these requirements above, dying to myself, limiting my rights, and then be disqualified. That word disqualified means not fit for use. So in the games, there was this person called the Kerox. The word kerox means a herald. And he called all the runners to the starting post, and then he heralded the start of the race. That's exactly what Paul is. He's a kerox. He's a, a herald who heralds. That's what sharing the gospel is. It's a believer telling other believers that the starting line is Christ. Come to Christ. Get in this race. We are those who are heralding the gospel. And Paul calls all to the starting blocks and the start of life in Christ through the gospel. Paul says, after doing all this stuff, I don't want to be disqualified. He is not talking about losing his salvation. What he is talking about is losing his effectiveness to win other people to Jesus. Sometimes we start out after we first know Christ with enthusiasm and devotion. And we'll tell anybody that wants to listen about Jesus. But then somewhere along the way, we forget that we're an athlete in the race and we want to take a break. And before long, brothers and sisters, we're disqualified and we're not fit for Jesus to use us to share his gospel with other people simply because we're not willing to pay the price. Good things can interfere with the best things. You can follow your way or you can follow the way. Souls are won by those who are training, preparing, and ready for the Spirit to use them to speak the gospel to everyone. I'm not bragging. I'm just using this by way of illustration. But when I was in the Army, I joined our our post-boxing team. The first fight came up, and I was was as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. But I trained, man. I'm going to tell you, I trained. I conditioned myself. I used tremendous self-control, and I did all that a boxer was supposed to do. But here's the thing. My number one thing was not to win the trophy. They gave trophies for all who won matches. My number one goal was not to win the trophy. My number one thing was that I didn't want to lose. I didn't want to get into the ring and then realize that I was losing because I hadn't trained properly. I didn't want to get in the ring and lose because I hadn't disciplined my body properly. I didn't want to get in the ring and lose because I hadn't eaten properly. I didn't want to get in the ring because I hadn't spent hours in the gym just going over it over and over again. And that's what Paul's saying. After all that teaching, after all I'm doing to stay in this race, I don't want to lose the opportunity to reach people for Christ. It's like Jesus. He had to forego his rights to move forward in relationship with us. He was incredibly servant minded. And he exercised self mastery to provide for our salvation. You're saying, where is that at? Well, Philippians chapter 2 tells us verses 5 through 11 have this attitude in yourself, which was in Christ, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Watch this. He emptied himself by taking the form of a what? a bond servant, being in the form of likeness of man, and then being found in appearance as a man, he did what? He humbled himself, now here comes mastery, by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. You see, brothers and sisters, here's what I guess I'm asking. We focused on winning our rights, or we focused on winning the race? The vision here. Most people come into our church, and some of the people who were here before I got here, here's the way we think. To be a part of this church, you have to believe what we believe, and then you have to behave like we behave, and then you'll belong here. That's not what Christ had in mind when he started the church. He was teaching his disciples from the very beginning before the church was founded. He was teaching them. He said this in Mark 1:17: He said, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will have you become fishers of people. So you need to understand this. These fishermen didn't believe in Jesus yet. They were some pretty sinful guys when you read about their stories. One would deny him, and the another one would even betray him. But Jesus looked at them, knowing that about them, and he says, hey, you belong. You belong with me. You, you matter to the Father, and you matter to me. Come do life with me. I just want you to be with me. And then he told them they would become something. As they watched him and they went with him, they began to see who he was, how he lived, and how he served. And they wanted to be like that, and they wanted to do like that. They wanted to love other people that deeply. But then Jesus said, I mean, you're going to have to believe in me that I'm God's son, that I am the Messiah, that I'm the only one who can forgive you of your sin and make you right with the Father. In other words, Jesus flipped the thinking. He didn't say, hey, you disciples, you have to believe like me first, and then you have to become like me, and then you fit in here. Jesus said, hey, you belong. Let's do life. And as you do life with me, I'm going to teach you how to become. But at some point in time, you're going to have to believe that I am the Messiah. And I want you to understand that is how we are doing church because that's how Jesus did the gospel. I don't want you to mistake what we're doing here. But you understand, theologically, this is what we're doing. So, in our witnessing, laying down our rights and meeting people where they are is belonging. Then doing life with them and living in our faith is how they're going to become. And then just like Paul, we become all things to all men that we give them an opportunity to believe in the life-changing gospel of Christ. I can give up my rights. Because I'll gain an eternal reward from Christ. I can give up my rights because others may gain an eternal relationship with Christ. I don't know who's supposed to come today to play some music, but if you want to come, please do. I read this article the other day. It said this. Columnist Herb Kane, he wrote in the San Francisco Chronicle, You're saying, Pastor, why are you reading anything from San Francisco? It's just something I came across. He said this: every morning in Africa. A gazelle wakes up. And when that gazelle wakes up, it knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. But every morning in Africa, a lion also wakes up. And it knows that it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It doesn't matter, he said, whether you're a lion or a gazelle, because when the sun comes up, you better be running. Beloved, I think that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, Man, no matter what, church, when we wake up in the morning, we better be running. If we're going to reach other people and help them gain Christ, or if not, are they going to be lost and continue to go into a place called hell? We had better wake up and be running. So I guess the question for application is simply this. Do you have an intentional plan? And do you have intentional times of prayer to reach those who do not know Christ? Who is it right now that you need to reach for Jesus? What are you going to do to reach people for Jesus? What's it going to take? Here's what I tell you it's going to take. If you will just get with the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, would you just remind me of how much you love me? That love by which your love will give you a love for other people. So I want you to leave here saying, man, I'm going to go witness. That's not your first step. Your first step is to go worship. Worship always leads to witnessing. We don't worship properly, we will not witness properly. So we really don't have, as Rick Warren would have said, we don't have a witnessing problem. The church has a worship problem. Because when I realize what all I've been forgiven of, I can't help but share that with other people. When people see you at work, they ought to hear you talk about Jesus the way you talk about your family because he's real and alive to you. So love people with the love by which you have been loved. I wonder if you'd stay in your feet right now. I want to pray for you. And then we'll respond. But I, I don't really know who in this room would need to know your forgiveness and your grace, but somehow today, Pray that they would see and know Jesus in a real way. Lord, I beg you to make this church a soul-winning church.